In the passage from Genesis we heard this morning, the Lord appears to Abraham in the form of three men. Christians have understood this passage to be an appearance of the Holy Trinity. One of the most famous works of religious art is based on this passage. Andrei Rublev's 15th century icon of the Holy Trinity. If you want, if you Google Rublev Trinity, you'll get a better look than the sheet I'm holding up. But this is a copy of Rublev's Holy Trinity icon. It depicts the Trinity as three angels seated around a table under a tree. The head of the calf Abraham sacrificed for the feast is visible in a dish on the table. I had the honor of seeing this icon in person in Moscow in 1995. I was with a group of clergy and other seminarians. The icon at the time was located in a museum, but we each took turns crossing ourselves, praying in front of it, some kneeling in front of it, and the museum uh, guards and docents were not amused. But it was incredible to see such a famous, uh, inspiring uh, icon, religious piece of art in person, and to pray in front of it. Well, the icon is most commonly known as Rublev's Holy Trinity. An alternative name for the icon is the Hospitality of Abraham. Hospitality is at the heart of this passage. Abraham urges the three persons to sit under the tree while he will bring them water to wash their feet and a little bit of bread for them to nibble on. But instead, he ends up offering an entire feast, much more than he had initially offered. Have you ever been surprised by unexpected hospitality? Some of the most generous hospitality I have received has been from people who on the surface struck me as having the least to offer. On that trip to Russia, my wife Amy and I would visit with families in their small cramped apartments. They would break out the good vodka that was only consumed with special guests. In Malawi, members of our sister parish would prepare feasts for us, including chicken and goat, food that was not always part of their daily diet. I have a friend who has a version of the Rublev icon of the hospitality of Abraham in his office that he got in Cuba. It is an exact replica, except instead of a calf's head, the table is filled with types of fruit common to Cuba. Here is an image of his icon from Cuba. The feast is much more abundant than that portrayed by Rublev. Part of what I love about this icon is that it's such a good example of enculturation. That is, 
to use a phrase I learned from Father Francis in Malawi, to see the heart of Christ in the skin of every culture. The Ethiopian icon on the cover of our bulletin today is another example. If you are like me and grew up with images of Scandinavian Jesus, the portrayal of our faith in different cultural contexts help us understand that it takes the whole world to know the whole gospel. Now back to hospitality. An early rabbinical source commenting on this Genesis passage says, the contrast between what Abraham says he will provide the three men and the generous feast he actually gives them teaches us that righteous people say little but do much. That's something for us to ponder in a world full of talking heads. And yes, I kind of feel like one right now as I'm speaking to you through this camera. Hospitality is something we do, not just something we say. The Episcopal Church welcomes you has been our slogan for a very long time. It's on the sign on Sir Francis Drake pointing to St. John's. But the truth of it is in how welcoming we are, not just saying that we welcome you. We can't just say that St. John's is a house of prayer for all people. We have to be a house of prayer for all people. Now, it may seem strange to talk about hospitality at a time when none of us are actually able to offer it. Shelter in place does not allow us to host people for these services here in our church building or to have people gather in our homes. But I think this is actually a perfect time to reflect on hospitality and how we truly offer or fail to offer hospitality. In our house, before dinner, we always say a prayer. And one we often use is joining our hands and saying, Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let thy food this day be blessed. There are different variations you may have heard of this common prayer, but they all include the invitation for Jesus to be our guest. What does that mean to you to invite Jesus to be a guest at your table? This line can become a throwaway phrase if you let it, but it's quite a serious statement. Inviting Jesus to break bread with you. Who did Jesus break bread with in the scriptures? Again and again in the gospel, we hear complaints of Jesus eating with outcasts and sinners. Maybe that tells us something about who we truly are. Or maybe there is a challenge in this prayer to see if we can extend our hospitality in the same way that Jesus did. When the disciples asked who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, 
Jesus put a humble child among them and said, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. There is no earthly power or status conferred in welcoming such a child. But Jesus makes it plain that to welcome one without standing is to welcome him. How do we live this out? How are we generous hosts, not just among our family at the dinner table, but in seeking to serve Christ in all persons? What do you think, I wonder, are the main things that would make us bad hosts? What makes us inhospitable? I think it's two things. Fear and contempt. Either fear or contempt can strangle our hospitality. But the ones who pay the price for that are the people we view as invaders instead of guests or even neighbors. Several years ago, we held a forum on racial justice and reconciliation here at St. John's. It was shortly after Mike Brown had been killed by the police in 2014, I believe. A black woman who lives in Greenbrae attended the forum. She told the story of her adult son visiting her, and he was walking from her home in Greenbrae down to the Bonaire shopping center. A white neighbor saw him and asked if he was lost and what he was doing there. By the time he got close to Sir Francis Drake, a police car was driving up the street looking for him. Now contrast that story with the story of Abraham welcoming the three strangers. We all want to look out for our neighborhood, but viewing a black man in a mostly white neighborhood with nothing but suspicion and fear is not welcoming Jesus in the way he taught us to welcome and to be hosts. Now, I am not saying that that woman should have invited that black man in for lunch, but that white woman is not the host of her entire neighborhood, especially if she doesn't even know that she has a black neighbor. This is just one example among many that we all know happen in Marin and around our country on a daily basis. Many of us, myself included, were raised to fear black men, even though my parents strived to the, do the opposite. It was just in the air where I grew up. Undoing this is work that all of us must do. And the question I'm asking myself is if Jesus would have had the disciples shake the dust off their feet when they got to my house or my neighborhood. The other day I saw a uh, photo montage of all the major characters of the Bible being portrayed by black people. And that struck me as I thought about this passage. And let's be very clear, of course, 
our lack of hospitality towards people of color runs deep with a very long history, even going back to our story from Genesis today. Abraham was not white in the sense that most of us here are white, but he comes to represent the dominant culture in the Bible. Before the birth of Isaac, when Sarah thought that she was barren, she gave her African servant Hagar to Abraham as a second wife so that he would have a child. That child is Ishmael. Hagar was from Egypt, and many people consider Arabs to be the descendants of Ishmael. After the birth of Isaac, Sarah turns against Hagar and Ishmael and has Abraham cast them out. God saves Hagar and Ishmael before they die in the wilderness. Hagar, an African servant, is the only person in the Bible to name God. She and Sarah have a very contentious relationship even before Ishmael and Isaac are born because Hagar does not like her body being given to Abraham by Sarah. After God speaks to Hagar about the birth of Ishmael, Hagar names God El Roy, which means, you are the God who sees me. The God who sees me. What a powerful phrase. To be seen by God when other people do not see your full humanity. Sarah did not view Hagar as fully human, but God does. Hagar is like that child Jesus puts in front of the disciples, saying to welcome the least is to welcome him. Because the least of the world are not the least for God. I checked in with a black colleague recently. Her reply was, thank you for seeing me. I was so struck by that. On one hand, I was sad that I had to be thanked for seeing someone. But what really struck me was the realization that I have never not been seen. That is part of my white male privilege, always being seen. And her saying, thank you for seeing me, helped me see myself and all the things that I take for granted. To see another person as God sees that person is perhaps the ultimate act of hospitality. It is truly to love your neighbor as yourself. And let us remember that when Jesus was asked, and who is my neighbor, he told the parable of the good Samaritan. It was a Samaritan, an outcast, helping the man who had been beaten by the side of the road, who was the true neighbor. Part of the power of Rublev's icon of the Trinity is the harmony that exists between the three persons of the Trinity. It is mutuality and interdependence personified 
It shows not just Abraham's hospitality, but the hospitality of God inviting us to join at that open end of the table that faces us. And that is the true message of the icon. In the end, God is the host, and we are all the guests.